Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckadelics? What the fuckaholics? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yes, yes. I'm a little sick. I know you can hear it in your head. I apologize that you can hear my sick head in your head. But that's just the way it is. I don't know what it is. It's hard to tell what it is anymore. Things have changed since I was a kid. It's indecipherable what kind of virus you have. Is it a cold? Is it a flu? Is it bronchitis? Is it some weird combination? Did the flu and the cold fuck each other? And now we get this weird thing, this hybrid flu cold thing. That's what I think it is. Because I'm not immobilized like a flu, but I feel fluy. Had a little fever. My head's all stuffed up. My chest feels like someone was sitting on it all night. I got a little of this. <coughs> Can you hear that down there? <coughs> not that productive, but it's in there. Something deep. Got a demon in my lungs. But I feel okay. I feel better than I did. Nothing worse than getting sick on a shoot, man. Hey, before I start whining about my sickness, Marination, my spring tour, starts April 9th in Washington, D.C. at the Warner Theater and then continues to Philadelphia, Boston, Madison, Wisconsin, Pittsburgh, Royal Oak, Michigan, Toronto, Houston, Dallas, Seattle, Vancouver, San Francisco, Asheville, North Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, Atlanta, and New Orleans. Go to WTFPod.com and click on the calendar to get all the dates, venues, and links to buy tickets. I'm touring I'm going out there, and that'll be ongoing. We'll see how it goes, folks. We'll see how it goes. I got the new hour. I got the new stuff. I got things I got to say. I want to entertain. I'm, I'm here. I'm an entertainer. Did a little reach out for some tour art, see what comes in. I figure I can do poster art for every city, really, by different artists. And then cut a deal with them. Maybe uh, make the posters available at the venue for the show that the poster represents. That's my big plan. That's my big merch plan. I'm a businessman. Today's Jim Gaffigan Day. Jim Gaffigan has been on WTF in a few different versions. He was on a very early uh, episode that we did in New York. Before I left New York with the show, before it was really an interview show, it was him and his wife was in the room and she was talking as well. She writes for him. It was the two of them. 
And then I did another one backstage somewhere where I interviewed, I think it was uh, 80 Miles. And then he was, did a small one. He's, I feel like he's been on the show a few times in one version or another, but this is the only uh, full WTF interview. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, I don't know what I have, but it was really unnerving to do these, you know, to be shooting a show because you want to have a good time. You want to be in it. You want to be acting. You want to be, you know, available with full focus and energy. And then like I'm being dragged down by this goddamn monster inside of me, this virus. And I know maybe I'm a baby. I I guess I am, but I was sick, man. And, uh, as, as people who, uh, who have to go to work know, like there was no not going to work. You know, we're shooting a show with my name on it. I can't call in and be like, nah, I don't know. Today's not good. I don't feel good. All right, let's just uh, let's just close down shop, take the hit for 100K, and uh, hopefully you'll feel good tomorrow, whatever it would cost. I don't know. So uh, on Thursday, I guess it was, they had a, uh, a doctor come in when I started to feel like I was getting sick. We had a set doctor come in. And I said, I don't know what to tell you, man. I just thought I should see somebody. I don't know what to do. Maybe I need antibiotics. I'm not an antibiotic guy, but maybe give me a, give me some antibiotics. She said, oh, I'll give me. I don't know if they'll do anything. She goes, you know, I have the B12 shots. I'm like, yeah. She goes, yeah, a lot of people love them. They swear by them. I'm like, I never had a B12 shot. I don't know what it means. Isn't that the thing that, you know, like uh, Belushi used to do after, you know, a five-day Coke bender and schwitzing down at the uh, Ninth Street Baths? Do a B12 shot? Isn't that the, the remedy for, for hard living? Yeah, I don't know. You, I got one if you want one. So I did it. I got a B12 shot. And I think for about an hour, I felt very, uh, very lively. I don't know. It was hard to tell. Maybe it helped. Maybe it didn't. But I will tell you this. I got to work with um, Lucy Davis, uh, who was playing uh, my manager in a couple episodes this year. You might know her. Uh, she was on the original Office with Ricky Gervais, and it was a real honor and uh, uh, a blast to uh, do comedic scenes with her. Another kind of uh, weird highlight for me, and this is kind of bizarre one, is that, you know, we do casting, and people come into reefer parts, and there was a part on another episode uh, for a doctor, and I looked at the castings, I looked at the, uh, the, the actress who read, you know, I see them all from the casting agent, and Gregory White was one of the guys who read for the doctor part. Now, Gregory White was that guy on that McDonald's commercial, that old guy that a lot of people thought looked like me. I used to get busted all the time. My balls busted constantly because that guy looked like an old version of me. It was a McNuggets commercial, I think. Either you know it or you don't. But this is the guy that was in that commercial who looks like me, and I, and I do and will cop to the fact that he looks like me. And I couldn't help myself. I'm like, God, I got to hire that guy. We got to have that guy. And we, it was hilarious. He was hilarious. We did a great scene, and it was, uh, it was very exciting for me in this weird way. But uh, so shooting, like, I'm, I'm glad I feel a little better. I, my, I'm a little less congested. I just, you know, it's weird when he gets sick, you get angry. And like, God, like, you know, I know people deal with chronic illness and like, it's just, it's horrifying. You know, you just feel immobilized. And I was just hoping I'd feel a little better by today. And I do. I just want my voice back so we don't have inconsistencies. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, you shoot out of sequence. So like, hey, what, like, how come in that last scene, Mark didn't sound sinusy? Do you just, do you just get a, a horrible cold? 
uh, driving to the store. So, um, hey, hopefully nobody will notice if you know what I'm saying. Did another funny scene with Amanda Booth, uh, an actress and uh, model person. She was great. Funny scene. Oh, my God, being sick. All I want to do is eat peanut butter on toast. Peanut butter and honey on toast. I don't know where that comes from, but like I just gave myself license. I must have eaten that fucking full jar of peanut butter and a half a loaf of bread on toast because that's all I wanted to eat when I was sick. Is that good? What do you is it is it um, starve a cold, punch a fever in the face, starve a cold, feed a fever? I don't know, man. I woke up with a fever and I plowed through. Ate a bunch of peanut butter and toast. Had some juice, took a bunch of vitamins, took some antibiotics, doing all I can. Had some fever dreams. Those are really the best. Those are really the best. As a sober person, you know, I don't get to enjoy um, mild hallucinogenic fun. So when the fever dreams came, one of them was pretty compelling. The other one was bizarre. One, I was on an island or something and I... And I had to be somewhere else, but I had taken a boat to the island and uh, I had parked the boat and I was going to fly off the island, but I knew that I'd taken the boat there and I didn't really know what to do about the boat. And I didn't know how I was going to get back. I don't know if I could leave the boat where it was supposed to be left, but I was really in a conundrum. It was a really difficult situation. Like, I think I might have to take this boat all the way back to the mainland because I did rent it and bring it out here. I can't just leave the boat here with nobody knowing whose boat it is. That was the big problem. I don't know how that resolved itself. Not a very compelling fever dream. Not as compelling as the dream I had that my brain was reprogramming itself. I had this weird dream that my brain was kind of either rebooting or reprogramming itself. And it was beginning with every with images of every architectural structure I'd ever been in. So it was just like this flash of of structures and buildings, just like picture after picture of buildings after buildings. It was like a mutoscope. You remember those, uh, I don't know if you had when they were a Nickelodeon arcade thing. uh, Benny Levine used to have one in his shoe store in Ponton Lakes when I was a little kid, where you roll this, you kind of crank this thing on the side, and it kind of flips pictures over, so it looks like uh, moving like a, it's a predecessor to the film projector. But it was like that. Only all the pictures were different and didn't didn't work in a sequence and they were just folding into my brain matter. Fuck, man. I wonder if that really happened. I wonder if that during that fever, my brain kind of, my maybe my hyperthalamus just did a reboot because of the heat. Don't know. I don't know. I'm tired of worrying about it. Hey, you know what? Let's talk to Jim Gap. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something 
to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Again. So you have you have kids, so you have to have time. You make time to do things that you might might have missed or gotten away from. Absolutely, like the uh, the superhero thing. I never. It's really just getting into superheroes. I never, I never got into. I don't believe in heroes. Yeah, why? Well, it's a very profound <laughs> statement there. There are no such things as heroes. No, but my kids, you know, Spider Man. We have five or six Spider Man outfits. Yeah. And, and, and then we have some for the kids. But, <laughs> well, I get it. But I mean, but it's not. But are you finding you're like enjoying the stories? Like you like how why how did I miss this? And yeah, I think somehow I how did I miss this? Well, what were you doing, Jim? I was the youngest of six, so yeah. I think I. Well, was... there must have been a lot of shit around left over to go through. No, I think there wasn't. I think there was. I mean, you know, Star Wars. I I saw Star Wars. Star Wars. In the movie theater, I was like, eh, sorry. Yeah, but- <laughs> and my kids, you know, we own it, so yeah. they watch it. Regularly? Once a week. I've been Darth Vader for three years uh, it, it, for Halloween. Really? I've, I was Darth Vader at my son's, my, he's eight now at his fourth birthday party, and I did a lightsaber thing. Yeah. Him, and I won. Well, want, good. Well, you got you, you got to get it where you can, Jim. You know? Yeah, but so uh, your brothers, how what how, what was the breakdown of the siblings? The siblings, I uh, yours four boys and two girls, and well, I'm the youngest of six. There wasn't like a stack of records and a bunch of comic books. There were it? there were records, but okay. there was uh, there was not um, comic books. And they not weren't a thing. Really. Wasn't there? They didn't like it. What was what? How what's it, how old's your oldest brother? Uh, the oldest in my family is my sister Kathy, and she's I don't know, I don't know she could be like a hundred, and I wouldn't know. Um, and then my brother Mike is, uh, I, I don't know, fifties. Yeah, somewhere in it's there. It's all a blur, you know. It's like who cares? Well, you kind of know. I mean, I kind of know that you know there's six kids over like seven or eight years. They're just they're just old. <laughs> now they're old. They're older than me. Yeah, but like, well, how old were you when you, you saw them all leave? I imagine. Yes. Yes. I always wonder about that. Was that difficult? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit. You're leaving me here with these people that are crazy. Your parents. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of, you know, the enthusiasm wanes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> they're like, six? oh, you're still here. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> so there was some of that. But there was also, and I, you know, when I started off, I used to, there's, yeah. there's such a uh, uh, an amount of distrust that develops in parents of that generation right how old were they how old are they are they around anymore no no um, neither one of them thanks for bringing it up well it's no. talk but um i'm sorry no so they you know so they were not uh they were baby i don't know what they were not helicopter parenting it was kind of you know seinfeld has that joke it's like i'll see you at dinner yeah you know what i mean so there were that kind of parents right but they were 
but they had been lied to by so many teenagers. By the time I got there, they were just like, you're guilty. And I was like, I didn't do anything wrong. And they're like, just go to your room. And you're like, all right. So (laughs) They were jaded. So the paranoia, you know, which I think is pretty important for comedians, this... You know, it's a you know you can describe it as paranoia or point of view or yeah. suspicion. Mm-hmm. I think I I learned that from my parents how they're parenting you how fe- they parented. But you me. feel like you feel like you're paranoid. I think there's a little bit. I, you know, I, I, I guess so. De- well, it's the type of defensiveness or type know, of self protecting. Like, yeah, oh, what do you? You must be up to something. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. you know when uh, you do like I think a hundred years ago I did. Uh, um, I met with, I was meeting with people that were, you know, writers for yeah. a TV show and they're like, well, you know, we really, you know, we'll capture some of your paranoia. And I'm like, paranoia? And, and, but he, the guy cited this joke I had about Mexican food. He was like, well, that's kind of a paranoid, because I have this thing that yeah. there are seven entrees, seven names just for the same type of food. Right. <laughs> and he's like, that's a very paranoid perspective of things. And I'm like, all right, maybe it is. I don't think that it is. I think it's a simplification. Maybe. I think that, you know... It, That's kind of paranoid of you to think that. Is it? No, I don't. I, but, okay, so why so many kids on your parents' part? Were, you, were they were they just Catholic? They or? want No, they wanted Jews to feel uncomfortable. Well, That's I, why they did it. Well, that... We, we, no, that was very common. People would have a lot of kids. Six? Six people. I We lived across from a family that had 13. And the mom would collect all the milk jugs... In the garage with all the newspapers. She was crazy. Well, th- well so that's not common. That's crazy. Well, no, thir- but large families were pretty common. 13? 13. I think there, there's somebody who had. Somebody. Now it's so, one person. There who was went from somebody common... in the Old Testament who had. No. Hundreds. <laughs> Hundreds. No, there's the, but 13. Like my wife's one and nine. Yeah, they, but it, where'd she grow up? Milwaukee. And you grew up where? In Indiana. But there's also a lot of benefits from a larger family. There, there's um, uh, communal clothes. <laughs> yeah. No, there is something and socialization. I feel like that. No, happens. I think that's true because you're literally growing up in your own neighborhood. But what it's is a neighborhood in your house? Why, let me ask you this. Sure. Why is there anything wrong with someone having a large family? There's nothing. What, what nothing's wrong? wrong with it. There is nothing, nothing wrong. wrong with it. No. no, but I've had people secretly say they're like, I think it's so cool. But aren't you worried about like? It's like they're Worried not like what? they're not like dogs that are going to run in the street. They're human beings, right? And they so, listen to you eventually. So they they, <laughs> yeah. they eventually, you know, some of it's nature and nurture, but some of it is they're going to be how they're going to be. It's like right, right. It's, you know, if you if I they're think, raised with caring parents, that's right. all that really matters. No, I, I don't think I, I have I don't have kids. So like you yeah. know, you're asking the wrong guy. But I think that most people uh, just react with sort of like, wow, that seems like a lot of not you. Like, how can you be that selfless? You know, how can you... Like, I think most people are fundamentally selfish. And the idea of of six kids, it just overwhelms the modern brain. They're like, how do you have time to do anything? I think we've been culturally told that it's weird. I think that people have been told that... Like, by the way, when you think about it, if someone says, I have six cats, you think they're crazy. Yeah. But what if someone really enjoys six cats and their apartment isn't covered with cat that's, turds. That's a long shot. I mean, that's a rare thing you're talking about. Right, I don't maybe know. that's not good reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but, I mean, but you, what if you they know. have six cats with one leg missing on each of the cats? Right. Well, no, what, what I'm mean? saying is that you know, with six kids, you're going to have sh- you know shit all over the house. There's not going to be any stopping it. My wife is, uh, you know, 
pretty thorough. Like, our house is really clean. Yeah. Yeah. There's not toys all over the place? No. Would there be? Look, my I'm a slop. <laughs> yeah. So she's got to clean up after you, too? My apartment, like, if you saw my apartment when I was single. Yeah. Like, people, like, my brothers and sisters would come over to my you, apartment. You like, still live in an apartment in New York? Yeah. You must, well, it's big now. You must have a big, like, now, six, six we bedroom. Moved, we moved. Yeah. But um, my my siblings used to want to come to my apartment so they could laugh at it. Uh-huh. They'd be like, we got, you got to see Jimmy's apartment. Because I had the tub in the kitchen. Oh, that you know, it was one, a yeah, tenement yeah, style, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. They're like, there's a window for no reason <laughs> in the middle of the apartment. And I'm like, well, there used to be different families living here. <laughs> But, you know, to someone that lives in the suburbs, yeah. it's just insanity. Well, did you grow up in a rural environment? It wasn't rural, but, you know, I in high school, I definitely went to a couple of parties where I sat on a haystack. Yeah. Or I, a couple of parties where I was in a trailer park drinking a beer. Sure. But then again, I was also, well, you know, I mean, there yeah. were, there were you know, Chicago was 45 minutes right, away. Right, right. And, uh... Um, so there was, you know, it was, it was pretty nice existence. But, no, yeah. I mean, I grew up in New Mexico. I, I, we've, we've taken drives out to weird places yeah. to sit and drink on rocks. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I mean, I could, I could romanticize it and make it sound like, you know, and then I was eating one summer. I ate only hay, yeah. you know, but it really was, <laughs> it was, a, be romanticized? it was essentially a, a, you know, a suburban existence. Right. And what'd your, what, what'd your dad do? My dad was a banker. He was a banker. A banker. And at a local bank? Did he have his own bank? A commercial was it a bank. bank? A it commercial. was it so was a it was a local bank yeah. in in northwest Indiana. And your mom was watching children? Was watching children and uh No side know, projects? Meals on wheels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, stuff like that, needle pointing awards. So, I mean, that's the other thing about six kids is that it, it's like if you, your, your dad seemed like he made a nice middle class living, so there was never that panic. Right. No, there, and you know, there's something about, um, you know, I, I make a decent living, so it's as long as I can afford yeah. a decent cheeseburger, I'm all right. It's not like I need a boat. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's how I always describe it. I'm like, oh, you don't know, I can't get my boat. You know, that's not... You mean the sacrifices you would have to you yeah. have to make for having kids? It's, is, you know, it's They're minimal. Like, it's like, so I'm going to be balder a year earlier. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh... Uh, <laughs> well, what you're saying is that you'll do you know, whatever's necessary for the kids, and you love the kids. And and what I get from these kids yeah. is, is, is immeasurable. And I know it sounds like a rationalization. No, it's not, not but rationalization. It's amazing. What, what is this voice in your head that has decided that people are against big families and that that somehow saying that because, you get a lot out of your kids? Because they are. Because they are. They're all against the big families. <laughs> They're all out to you get You are me. paranoid. Yeah. yeah. I get it. It yeah. goes right back to the beginning. Yeah, but that's a voice in your head. That's not paranoia. That's a self-judgment thing. Oh, really? I'm getting reprimanded for being paranoid by Mark Maron. Yes, you are. <laughs> because no, because I've learned things about it. What it is is there's part of your brain that go and it's and I think you vocalize that in your act. Yeah. It, that's sort of the that weird id voice you do is that one that's sort of checking you all the time. There, right. There's a a party that's sort of like I don't know, should I? You know, it, it, maybe it's uh, maybe no. We want to have self awareness, right? Right. Yeah, but self awareness is, and I think that that is part of it. But that voice is not always the 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 not always smart. Right. Do you know what I mean? That voice is sort of some manifestation of fear. Right. Right? So when you were young, you were brought up, how Catholic was it? I, I was mostly cultural Catholic. It was kind of like, hey, you're... Right, right. You know, we go to church 
Did you go every Sunday? Oh, intermittently. You know, um, I think Jews and Catholics have it better like that. Like, you know, like so like regular Christians or people that come to Christianity later, like these really old uh, uh, religions like Catholicism and Judaism, there was sort of the lapse thing was OK. You could be socially Catholic. Well, they, they you know, that's when, you know, all this stuff happened with, uh, you know, the, you know, the radical Islam. Yeah. You know, people did describe it that it's the newer of the three. Right, right. It's like, you wait, know, we don't, we it's don't. It's like, look, we got to give them a, a couple hundred years and then they'll be drinking yeah. with the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> that might and be ordering a, extra that, cheesecake. That might be a long, destructive wait. So, okay, but your older brothers, what did they end up doing? What was your influences when you were younger? I mean, did you look up to those guys? Yeah, I was, you know, I think, uh, you know, my older brothers, you know, my older brother Mike kind of rebelled. My father was the first in his family to, after many generations being in this country, to go to college. So success was wearing a coat and tie. And uh, so my brother Mike kind of rebelled against that. And he was like, I'm getting a pickup truck and I'm not wearing that. Yeah. And then, but all my sisters and my brothers, uh, uh, you know, very much coat and tie kind of jobs. So when I announced that I wanted to... Uh, be in the entertainment industry or be a comedian. Yeah. They just thought it was cute. Right. No, like, he'll get that, over that. Isn't that adorable? Yeah, he'll get past it. Because, you know, back when I started, it was not, you know, it was not as, uh, you know, adorable or GQ article as no. it is today. No, right? I remember when you started. I remember you. You had yeah. more hair. It seemed whiter I, even. Yeah. It's, it's actually getting, it's. It, maybe the gray is better. The gray or, I don't know. Yeah. But I feel judged. Oh, but, feel good. Yeah, no, you are judged. I'm, yes. I'm not judging you. All right. And I judged you in a positive- Do you positive have your hand on my thigh while Yes, we did I'm this? trying to comfort you. All right. Uh, so, but, but you didn't, it wasn't always comedy. I mean, it seemed like, you know, when you were younger that there was a, another agenda. You, you like, uh, I remember we talked a bit a long time ago, but uh, I think you might have been the enemy at some point, right? The enemy? Yeah, Meaning- like- Working in advertising? No, I mean, before that, jockey, fratty. Jockey, fratty? Yeah. You think the enemy? <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is such bullshit. The enemy. <laughs> the enemy. Can I just point something out? It's like, <laughs> you you exist in these like mythological kind of constraints that ex- that don't exist uh-huh. you're like we're we're doing a show in irvine you're like you know what out there it's all these people i'm like mark it doesn't it's not like they're not voting for uh, gay marriage right now these <laughs> these are the people that can afford a 90 dollar ticket to see louis ck uh-huh. you know it's like it's yeah. not well i wanted to make so, it more complicated than that because right. i wanted to believe, yeah oh so but was i was i what would a frat guy mm-hmm I was in a fraternity for a year, but mm-hmm. I never uh, did the final pledge. But that was uh, my freshman year in college. But I don't think that I was in high school. Who were you? No, I don't. Th- I don't get the feeling that you were a bully in any way. But no, you were, no, 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 no. No, you. I was definitely. I mean, look, I'm a comedian because I was kind of uh, tortured because I was so pale and really odd when I moved. Yeah, when people I, thought you were an albino. Yeah, there was some of that, and you know, like. <laughs> so I was definitely uh, the outcast. Why are you so fair? Because I'm cool. That's how God made me. No, I know that. I'm not judging no, you. I'm why did, am I so pale? Do you have Scandinavian in you? Or you? No, I think it's Irish. It's pale Irish. 
I've heard of black Irish. Irish. I, I yeah. didn't know there was a white Irish. Well, you know, all the blonde hair in Ireland, mm-hmm. blonde and red hair, is just the Vikings coming down. And so you got Vi- yeah, I can see you having some things. Viking in you. You know, it's that shows you. I think that's interesting. You know, historically, it's just adorable. Like the Vikings are adorable. Yeah. They're like, oh, you know, the Vikings, you know, that's kind of interesting. They had horns in there. I don't know. But they were were raping and pillaging. Yeah, menacing. I always thought of them as the Vikings were like menacing. But, you know, we don't look at people in Sweden and go, hey, we got to watch them. They used to be Vikings. Right. But, you know, the other countries were kind of like, we got to keep an eye on these Well, maybe it was a little before and it didn't get as much press and it kind of got mythologized and romanticized, the Vikings did, you know? A lot of boats and, yeah, the big- Boats, wooden boats. Wooden boats. Yeah, and horns and yeah, horns. Yeah. All right. So, but were you the were you the funny guy, or you weren't the funny guy? I was the funny guy. I would say I, you know, I was funniest. In, but I went to a rare high school. I went to a high school where there were twenty five people in my graduating class. How, really? Yeah. The private school. Private school. I went to one of those briefly. They threw me out. There was only like thirty five graduating seniors. It's a little weird, right? And you were on a. It's very weird. And you played team sports. How many people were on I, the team? Did you? There was, uh, you know, there was everyone who tried out got on. Everyone that tried out got on. <laughs> right. But we were we were good. There yeah. Was, we were good at things. You know, I beat in wrestling. I beat the guy that was third in state, and I played uh, football at Georgetown. But not. I wasn't a great athlete. But I would say that um, wrestling. My high school was very much, it didn't fit the John Hughes stereotypes of, you know, uh, those different kind of characters. Yeah. It was more like everyone was everything. Right. Oh, right. So you didn't have cliques because it was so small and you all kind of knew each other. Yeah. It was hard to have a clique. A clique would be what, two guys? Yeah. (laughs) It was just, (laughs) it it was not. And then by the end of the day, they're like, oh, they showed the record they're listening to to everybody. We're all, it's okay. Yeah. So so it was, it it didn't really hold up. I hear my wife talk about the clique thing and it sounds terrifying, but. Jeannie, right? Yes. Your wife, who is, yes. uh, we, we, she was involved in the last one. Yes, she was. You were flirting with her during the last She one. does it to me. I do oh, not. Oh, she does do it, huh? You don't have a reputation for flirting at all, either. You're going to tell me <laughs> that your wife isn't kooky? My wife is very kooky. I wouldn't be with a boring woman. You're going to tell me that, that I might not misinterpret that as flirting? I don't know. I thought it was very. I thought it was very uh, sociable. I didn't think there was. Did you feel menacing? You felt menaced from no. Me? I just look. We all have friends that we're like. All right, I got to keep an eye on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and you're one of them. Me? I'm the guy. You're you're, you're evil. Did you just fart? It smells like shit in here. <laughs> no. Yeah, you did. Is I didn't it the know, cat? No, there's a. I don't know why it happens, but at certain times of night, it smells like raw sewage back here. Right. And, and maybe it's, it's because you're letting gas out I'm of I'm not your letting ass. gas out of my ass. I'm telling you. I <laughs> thought it was my pipe, so we didn't flush the toilet or nothing. There's something no. that happens. And I asked the guy, and he said that all, if you live up on a hill, he said that whoever's in the canyon below there, that there's vents that go up through a house from the oh, from wow. the sewage in that. But I've never smelled it. Good God! It's like did I, fat nev- bastard take I've a never, third or I, what? No, I've never smelled it this bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know what's it's, going it's on. Nice. Is this is why I don't do interviews at this time of night. I'm evil. How am I evil? You're not evil. You're just bad. No. <laughs> but yeah, look, I I think uh, that you know you've you've struggled. Uh, yeah, I've I've definitely struggled. I'm not. I don't think you're any goddamn saint. I'm most certainly not. Maybe not. You're maybe not bad in the same way I am. We all have our demons. Yeah. We all have our demons. I know that. All right. So you're wrestling. You're yes. playing football. There are no cliques in your high school. Yes. And you're at a private school. You get good grades. 
but I didn't get in any college, so I went to uh, Purdue, and um, uh, you know, this is such a suburban struggle. It was like I didn't get in the college I wanted. Mike. Yeah, yeah. Were your parents and disappointed? What about your brothers and my sisters? My parents, like? my parents went to Georgetown University. They had a dog named Hoya, mm-hmm. and I didn't get in. My brother, my Irish twin, who was like twenty months older than me. Got was in Georgetown and I didn't get in. Why didn't you get in? Why wouldn't they let you in? I don't know. I think I'm dumb. Yeah, but I transferred in. After a I'm year at Purdue? Yeah. Now, Georgetown, is a, that's a good school. It is a good school. It's, it's where much, is that, in D.C.? Yeah, it's a much better school now than it was then. And but, you went yeah. all the way through? Yeah. Finished it up? Graduated. You played football at Georgetown? For a year. Yeah. And then I quit. Was it too too much? I, you know, it's just depressing when you'd see people going to parties and you'd be like going to practice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so it was a practical thing. Social, yeah. cut into your social life. Yeah. You just, could be drinking. I would have nightmares. I'm like, oh, I got to go to practice tomorrow. <laughs> and I woke up and I quit. And I remember the guy who, yeah. uh, you know, I had to tell these coaches. And yeah. this one coach was like, you're just, you're going to quit everything. <laughs> You're going to quit your life. You're going to quit your wife. Was, and I'm like, I don't care. I'm yeah. still quitting. <laughs> he was drink. eating like a big sandwich at the time. He was like a monster. <laughs> but, you know. He was trying to intimidate you into staying. Yeah, but I think that was one of those moments, you know. Did you immediately know you wanted to do comedy? And you're like, all right, I'm going to. Because it's much more. It was much more of an insane pursuit. Something right? about it, for me, it was weird. Because, you know, I did a little in college. And, you know, after my sophomore year, I did open mics, and I was trying to do it, yeah. and I just couldn't hack it. I had done a little bit with another guy, a uh, team thing, and, and I and I always had the bug. But That when I, man was Bruce Falanche, right? Yes, yeah. it was. No, Steve Brill. And... Um, but I couldn't hack it on my on my own at first. Like I was drinking a lot that summer, and I was waiting around doing open mics, and it was brutal because they only had and them this at the was in New Mexico, in Boston, Boston. Because I went to BU, and then I kind of put it on hold until I graduated. But right when I got out of college, you know, I can't. I went home for three months, and I went to the I went and got a job at the comedy store. I mean, I I, I didn't think of it as unreasonable. I, I was never taught any sort of sense of value or values growing up i i never was i was not moving towards a job right. i didn't think in terms of a job i always thought in terms of creative pursuits when i was in college i did photography i wrote plays i wrote for the paper i never never ever thought about anything practical right it was not the way i was brought up were you brought up that way i was brought up very much uh to seek security right that security was a coat and tie would have loved to have had more of that. And I, I was like, I was a, a, a wild, an, a wild, insecure animal yeah. that was released with no sense of per, of of responsibility. And but isn't your dad a doctor or something yeah. like that? Yeah, and which means what? Never home, was not that engaged in the upbringing. Occasionally came around to sort of uh, establish power and threaten and make me feel weird. But and, that's all dads of that era. My dad would come home and I'd be like, who is that guy? Yeah. And you're like, uh, hi. Like, that's some of my acting was, uh, initial acting was acting excited to see this stranger. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I liked my dad. He was a charismatic guy and a little nutty. But uh, but I just, I ne- like, when I look back on it, but you said your mother must have been some, some st- stabilizing, loving force. Yes, very much so. And yeah. I think that she... Uh, and and humor was uh, 
a very important thing. Making her laugh was an important thing among the siblings. And Why? Because she was like, you knew that you were wearing her out? Well, I think it was just, it was a difficult task. So uh, humor was something you give someone that it, it was, you know, it didn't cost anything. So and also doing an impression of my dad for my siblings yeah. was an important thing. Element it served a where purpose. they're like, all right, maybe we'll we won't beat him or take his food. <laughs> I was at that time I was not it a competitor survived. for food. Yeah, right, right. You know, yeah, you're the funny guy. You yeah, t- you took some uh, took some steam, released yeah. some steam. Yes. All right, so but you go to school and you go for what? I studied finance. But did you really study it, or were you just kind of biding your time? I was biding my time, but I was. Yeah, all my siblings who had gone before me studied, like, international terrorism. Before there was terrorism, by the way. This was, like, Bass Separatists yeah. that my brother Mike studied. And, um, you know, they graduated and they couldn't find jobs. So my dad was very much with me and my older brother, who's right above me. Um, he was like, you guys should study finance or accounting. And uh, strongly encouraged it. And, uh, you know, I was told that... If you do that, then you'll be happy and you'll get a good job and then you'll enjoy that job and then you'll play golf for five years and you'll die. And so it's... <laughs> that you know, was how you laid it out? <laughs> I did that. I remember the night before I graduated from college, I was saying to a friend of mine, I was like, gosh, you know, because we all had jobs and I was like, gosh, you know, all I really want to do is be a comedian. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm sure everyone wants to do that. And she was like, no, not, not everyone wants to do that. I'm like, everyone wants to do that. And she looked at me like, nobody wants to do that. Right. And so. What what inspired you to do that, though? What made, and you were, when was this? After, while you were in college? This is when I, the night before I graduated. But how, how, how did you get your mind into comedy? Who had you because seen? Because I, um, I had worked as a doorman at a place called the Comedy Stop in Washington, D.C. And um, so you were just, that was just a job you sought out to, or was it? It was right near my uh And they were looking apartment. for somebody, or you went to look for it? All, me and my roommates all were doormen there, where we would seat people. and Because you loved comedy, or just because that was no, a gig? No, it, it was just a gig. Okay. And, but I had also uh, hosted a talent show, which was called Cabaret, with a friend of mine my senior year which was a it was a talent show but it was a big deal where right. everyone would dress in tuxes uh-huh. and um and i hosted that and that was very rewarding even though i did it uh, when i did it i was just completely drunk the entire time did you do bits yeah i did bits kind it's, of school specific oh uh, but so you had bits. not done any stand-up yet no. but you, okay so you, this was a like right you you were the the funny guy and you I was the guy that people would, uh, like, there was a guy who actually ended up being an agent at ICM, and he used to get me stoned just, just so that uh, I would be funny for yeah. him. He'd be like, let's get Gaffigan stoned. <laughs> yeah. And so then he would get me high, and they would, and then I would just kind of start rambling. It's like getting a, a dog or a cat right. high. It was just like, it's, like, it's like when you give a, let's give a dog some hot salsa, see how it reacts. <laughs> Have you ever done that? No. <laughs> It's pretty amazing. <laughs> what does he do? <laughs> oh, it's you know because a dog, you yeah, know, they freak out. They, they freak out, but they don't. They can't figure out what it is. <laughs> right. That's they're the, like you don't you don't torture the dog, but right. it's just like this is very strange. Yeah. Like, yeah. They start hitting their nose. Like yeah, wait, wait a yeah. minute. So you torture the dog, and then they go back <laughs> and they eat more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you're working the door at that place, and you're and you're seeing who? Like, are you? Is that where you start to get the bug? Kind of. I 
I don't think I don't think that gave me the bug. I think that demystified it a little right. bit for me. Right. Like you oh, you saw it as a job that could be done. Yes. Right. Where I saw um Pat Paulson Yeah, running for president. Yes. Uh-huh. Um again. Yes. Uh saw, you know, different comedians. I think it was maybe a six month job. Did no and one make an impact on you? Really? I mean, I have a horrible memory. Yeah, but you would know, like, if you're like, that guy's um, good. Yeah, there were people that were good. Yeah. Um, you probably still, you probably work with them now. Yeah, I'm sure that, you know, I, you know, Bobby Collins probably went through there. Or Bobby Collins? The, you know, or Richard Jenny. I don't know. There was, um, but it was. It's interesting, though. You don't have specific memories of it. I don't. I, I just have a, a a general memory of, like, you know, I could do this. Yeah. Uh, and so, but of course, I didn't do it. Well, no, but uh, you, know. you were still in school. Yeah, but well, obviously, you did. You find them entertaining, or were you just sitting there going? Some like, of them, you, you just, a lot of them, no. Right. So you're like, I can't believe this guy. A lot of them, no. You yeah. Know. No, I, I know. Like, believe me, I know. How I am like, I not going to know I don't, that? Uh, you know. Why are they laughing? Yeah. Why are they laughing? Or, um, and and some of it was just I just saw confidence on the stage. Right. And um. Uh, so I was, yeah, I was pretty impressed by their confidence. Right. So you, all right, so you graduate. Yeah. And you want to do comedy at that point, but what do you end up doing? I'm a consultant and I, uh, go to Tampa and then I, uh. How long were you in Tampa? For a year. Oh and my I'm God. And I'm a pale guy who doesn't like the outdoors. And I remember I, uh, I went there and one of the first- I used to always tell people this. I was at a bar and I was talking to somebody about politics and some guy said, uh, I said, well, why aren't you going to watch, uh, why aren't you going to vote for Dukakis? This shows you how old I am. Yeah. And the guy goes, because he's going to let everyone out of jail. And he said it without any irony. And I was like, you know, that's not true. And he was like, well, and I was like, oh, all right. So, you know, but Tam there's nothing wrong with Tampa. It's just not right for me. You know what I mean? And so then, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a kind of the wild west down there, man. You know, it was it's 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 an interesting place. Yeah. And so then I went to New York and got an advertising job. But but I remember having, like, I wrote a Miami Vice episode when I was in Tampa because mm -hmm. I wanted to get into entertainment and. Um, I remember having a little micro cassette recorder where I would record ideas, but I remember saying, if I don't find out what I'm going to do, I'm ending this because I had done everything that, you know, culturally I was supposed to do or not yeah. culturally, but so, so I, your dad I, wanted you to do, I had studied hard. Yeah. I had gone to college. I had studied the security thing. I had gotten the job that was decent money and I was miserable and I sucked at it. So at that point, I was like, you know, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And so when I got to New York, I worked in advertising and um, did an improv class because of uh, fear of stage fright. Where? At the National Improvisational Theater, which was... Uh, pre-UCB. Way pre-UCB. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know what... I don't even remember and that place. These guys, the, uh, this was all run by Scientologists. Did you know that going in? I, uh, you know, they were very nice about it. They didn't really push it. <laughs> why why were they running an improv class? I don't know. I don't know. And um, looking for vulnerable people? No, I think they. I think they were just artists that ended up. You know, it's like there's tons of actors. Yeah, well, that are I, Scientologists. I too. get it, but there's got to be a okay. 
And so, um, how did you find that out? Um, because my mother died while I was doing improv, and they're like, "You should take a class." And I was like, "All right." So I took a class for and, grief. Um, I think it was it was. Look, when you lose someone, you're just look. You know, you don't know where you're going. And that's when they said it. Well, I don't th- look. I don't want to present it as malicious. That's what made no, it's them not happy. Malicious. I'm not you saying know? it's malicious. You, you don't have to be diplomatic. I'm yeah. just saying that they saw you were vulnerable. You were upset. You were hurt. Yeah, and, and they were like, maybe you should take a class. Maybe this would help you. Yeah, yeah. And then when I was doing improv, this guy that was doing the improv classes with me uh, dared me to do stand up, and I, you know, that's what I needed. I needed someone to say, "Come on, let's do this." Yeah. And so um, I did this. Uh, uh, stand-up workshop thing and uh did it that night and uh you remember where that was that was at 55 grove but i think at that time it was called the duplex oh yeah they had shows there yeah and they had a picture of woody allen up there and and joan rivers i think it was it was kind of a gay club right they later on it became sort of a burlesque sort of uh it was like a piano bar right 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 it was definitely a piano bar but it was... Uh, I think it had an upstairs, right? Yeah, it was upstairs. Right. the showroom. Right. I'd, I've done a show there. So I remember I... Uh, it was the first time I did it, and it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. You were like, thank God I'm here. I was like, I, was like, I finally found out what I want to do. Yeah. And then I bombed for the next four years. But, no. You know, not, not completely, but, you know, I definitely... I feel like it takes me longer to figure things out, but uh, yeah, there was no spots to be had in the city. So I remember when. What year was that? Because I remember when you started, and I remember when I started to see you. You were you were kind of like you, you know you. It's I remember you sort of tucked your shirt in a lot. Yeah, and you were you were kind of heavy, and you had your hair was bushier. Yeah. And you were a little sweaty, and you always yeah. seemed kind of miserable. Yeah, no, I was very miserable. <laughs> yeah. Very miserable. Well, you know, I always describe it, because, you know, I started with Geraldo. Yeah. And Geraldo and I met. He was also we were, chubby and sweaty. And we were both wearing suits. Yeah. He was a lawyer, and I was an advertising guy. I switched to copywriting, but... Uh-huh. Um, That's a little creative, isn't it? It was. It was a little creative. I mean, a little. Yeah. But... Uh, Did you ever nail any campaigns? Yeah, I mean, I worked on some campaigns, but it's there's something about stand-up comedy where we're spoiled by the the lack of hierarchy and bureaucracy. Right. right. Where, um, you know, in advertising, there's a lot of it. There yeah. were so many good comedians. I, like, when I started, here's how I What year was it, it again? 89, maybe 91? 90, 92. Mm-hmm. And the way I viewed it, there was... Me and Geraldo and Judah, and then the the new group, which was Atel, you, Todd Berry, Louie, Jeff Ross. Just a couple years ahead. And of then you. and then above them, the old guys was the old guys. Yeah. So you guys would be getting spots and slowly chipping away at these spots, but so Geraldo and I started driving out to Long Island, and then sometimes I would go to. Um, the what was it called? The Comedy Tree in oh yeah, yeah 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 the Treehouse Treehouse in Connecticut. Yeah. So you guys oh so you you spent a lot of time with Greg yeah. Uh, yeah how sad was that? It's horrible. It's amazing. I couldn't believe it. I it's, just couldn't really, fucking believe it. It's really uh so so smart and so funny, but couldn't get a handle on that shit. 
Well, it's it's also, you know, I'm sure the people kind of view it as, oh, well, that's, uh, you know, that's, you know, he was kind of a rock and roll comedian. But when I met him, he, he was not like that. No, he was not. And um, he's like a hardworking, oh yeah, writer, really, really intelligent guy. Off. Yeah, and and some of it is, um, you know, I don't know, but it's it's what people don't realize is it's the repeated amount of rejection. Like you think you reach a threshold where you're like, I did Letterman. Yeah. Now everything's okay. Yeah. But there's something about stand up where you get the entertainment industry in general. You get either too much praise too soon or none right so you're either kind of it's kind of a real repeated abusive situation it's like come here come here smack come here come here smack and so i witnessed greg you know comedy central deal after comedy central deal after comedy central deal and he was somebody who had an enormous amount of success in his life he he, um, I mean, he had great interpersonal skills. He got me on. We would go to Long Island, and these Long Island guys would be like, we're not putting on the, the doughy white guy. Yeah. And Greg would be like, he's a friend of mine, you know, yeah. because Greg was from Queens. He could deal with these yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. And um, so he had all the skills. You know, he went to Harvard Law. He had every situation he could talk. But there is, and stand-up is a bit of a meritocracy, but the entertainment industry is not. Right. So, you know, it's why you know rem- you remember me as miserable. Yeah, is like I'm like I can't believe I can't pass at the comic strip. Right, and so Greg was fine with that stuff. He could work that, but the rejection of things that used to work. I mean, things that should work, but just the bureaucracy of television. I think it really took a toll on him. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna some something's gonna take a toll on you. Yeah, and you know, and he was he just he tried to get a handle on it, and it's a it's a sickness, you know, it's hard, yeah. you know. But like when you were wandering around, though, were you depressed? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think there's something about uh, um, you know, a, a low grade. I mean, my my depression kind of displays itself in anger. Yeah. Sound familiar? Sure. And <laughs> were you a rager though? I you know I think you know it's like I was raised Irish Catholic, so it was a temper. Yeah. But it's just uh you know, um, you know the anger didn't match the crime. That's where had... that's where it was. Yeah. That's where I could see it and go, oh, all right. And so, so uh, there's some chemical stuff there, but uh, there's I think there's also something we're all crazy. Uh-huh. like uh comedians uh-huh. and we're control freaks and there's elements that we can control and stand up and there's elements we can't control and uh i never thought of myself as a control freak but i guess like you know when you're on stage that's your thing right yeah i mean we got the microphone yeah, yeah right yeah. and we have our bag of tricks yeah and so there is something about you know but we're, you know it's not set up where you know, gaining the approval of a comedy club or a theater, yeah, and then getting all that praise, and then shutting it down, and then going to our bedroom, right, it, or our hotel room, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to see you know even the most well-adjusted Tom Hanks version right. yeah. of uh, a human being be able to pull that. Oh yeah, to do Irvine, to do like we did like what fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand people. Yeah. I got on my Toyota, <laughs> right, and I drove back here, and I had some cereal. Right. It's bizarre. Right. So it's, 
And I think for me, it's like one of the things I've learned is that I think I'm above, you know, I intellectually can go, well, you know, I've figured this stuff out, but you have to repeatedly learn it. You have to sit there and go, you know what? You are jealous. You are jealous of this situation. You know what? You, You are in a vulnerable uh, situation. Um, You know, like the oddball thing, it's fun, but it's also, I'm spoiled because I go and I do these theater shows with my hand-picked opener. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about what I'm going to follow. I know what I'm going to (laughs) follow. And I think there's something great about that, but there's also something where you can get lazy. So it was kind of fun. It was fun following Sarah and it was fun following Bill Burr, but it's also, you know, like, you know, like when that night that I followed Bill Burr, I'm like, wait a minute, he's, you know, he is like, you know, it's like, you know, this anger, like, fuck that shit, fuck that. And then I'm going up there and going, you know what I mean? So I'm like, musically, this doesn't fit. Yeah, but you're Jim Gaffigan. I know, but some of it is. You don't think that? I think there's, you know, I look back. I was the, completely impressed with you. I mean, I, I got uh, on Mike's show and I talked about it. I know. I heard it. Thank yeah. You and I, I mean, I was like, you know, like I, you know, I know Bill, I know Sarah, I know everybody, but I don't get to see you work that much. I yeah. see them around a bit. Yeah. So like seeing you like come down off the mountain. Oh yeah. And just kind of lay it out with, uh, with, with your music and your, your sort of rhythm. I was like completely impressed. And I was talking to you backstage. You're like, I don't know. And I'm like, what don't you know? You yeah. do this every night in front of thousands of people. Yeah. But, you but, know. but I know, but I mean, we're all like that. Yeah. Yeah. We're all like that. Or, you know but what? There wasn't Actually, even... you and I are like that. I don't, I feel like I look at other people and they're like, yeah, who cares? Yeah. And I'm like, what? You don't care? <laughs> yeah. But I think it's important to, to care. Yeah, it's course. important. I think they're pretending, man. Really? Okay. They're just around. Uh, yeah. I think they gotta be, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, like, there's not room for more than two of us walking around going like, oh, man, I don't know. What's going to happen out there? Is that lighting right? (laughs) (laughs) Are they going to be able to hear what the the mic is? But there is, I mean, the lessons of comedy, it's so great because, you know, having young kids and seeing just the, the battlefield of childhood, I mean, it's insane. And my kids are very nice, and and they have friends and everything. What are but the it's ages? Terrifying. Ten, eight, five, three, two. So, just you know, dropping my kids off at soccer camp, uh, my older ones, and I brought my three year old, and I turn around and some kids bullying. You know, some eight year old is bullying a three year old, and I had to hold myself back from punching this kid. <laughs> I was like, do not ever think. You know, like, it's like you might, and I do this, my wife thinks I'm crazy. Like, if anyone's ever rude to my kid, I go right up to them and I go, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? And and she's like, Jim, you look crazy. I'm like, I don't care. Maybe my kid will see, like, my dad is crazy, <laughs> Yeah, but he's got my back. Right. You know, so it's. How do kids respond to that? I grabbed this kid and I tried, <laughs> I tried not to squeeze his, I grabbed him. What was he doing? He, my three-year-old was wearing a baseball cap, yeah. and three-year-olds—they're like orangutans, yeah. right? They don't yeah. know what they're doing. Yeah. And so he flipped it off, and he and he was kind of like pointing it at my son. So I grabbed him by the arm, and I was like, "You're coming with me." So I went to find a camp counselor 
it's a soccer camp. Yeah. And the soccer camp, the guy, it's just like this summer Manhattan soccer camp. Right. It's nothing fancy. Yeah. This guy's like, you know, this beats working be- being a janitor. Right. I said, this guy was bullying uh, the, uh, my three-year-old son. And he looked at me like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't care. And I was like, all right, well, uh, at least I did the right thing. <laughs> at least I at did least- the right thing. <laughs> Yeah, it would have been hilarious if he just bullied you. So what's the problem? Yeah. So what's the problem, <laughs> pussy? <laughs> when did you uh, meet uh, Jeannie? I met her in, I guess, ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand. Uh huh. I don't think I had um, confidence, and uh, you know, till I was in my thirties. Yeah. You know, real confidence, you mean. real confidence right. where we got fake it for a while. It's where, you know, this is uh, a beautiful woman. I'm going to talk to her. She might yeah. want to talk to me yeah. before that. I was just like, glug, 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 <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I think by then I had some confidence and I had dated some attractive women. So I was not intimidated that she was beautiful or, or a strong woman or anything like that. So, uh, yeah. And, and she turned out to be the best thing for you in the world. I think so. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, you know, I talk about her being my writing partner. But that took a while. That took a while. And it's very counterintuitive, right? Like, you've had many girlfriends. Yeah. How often do you sit there, you know, you know, I'm going to write with her. It's never the But you, were, you guys were kind of writing together before you really were public about it. I, I would say there was some, uh, she definitely was kind of coaching me in my acting. And well, Did she come from that? Yeah, yeah, she has like a master's degree in theater and all that. Uh-huh. And um so and she'd done sketch comedy and she'd done some stand up. Right. And so she knew the comedy world, but you know, a comedian to a comedian giving you a tag, you're always kind of like polite, "Thanks." Yeah, even yeah. though you thought of it, right? Right. And so I assume that would be the relationship with her. And um but it it became very much uh you know, there was great insights. And then there was her, you know, we would have debates on where a joke would go or the value of doing it this way versus that way. And so eventually it came to a point where uh, I was like, yeah, you know, she's definitely my writing partner. I mean, I definitely have the final say. Right. It's not like I'm, ah, you know, I'm doing this 10 minutes because my wife made me do it. <laughs> you know, it's not that, but it's, there's also something about uh, in this business, it's, I don't care about the credit. I, I I care about the product. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, you know, if you know, occasionally on Twitter, people will be like, "Did your wife write that joke?" Yeah, I'm like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, it's like if you really think that, that's fine. But um, it's a pretty uh, pretty good collaboration. Hopefully well, it I won't seems mess like it. it. Up. Yeah, I don't think you'll mess it up. You're too far in, too in in far too deep. That's right. But when did now? The, what's interesting to me is, though, you know, you come from this background where. You, there was a premium put on on security, yes. on working, and your yes. work ethic. And you know, more than most comics, you seem to have over time fairly, seemingly deliberately figured out a way to to really uh, you know find your audience, and and it's a big audience. And you're you're you've never been sort of um, you know ashamed or 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 thought about. Uh, like that doing commercials was a bad thing or that doing right. any of that stuff. I mean, it seems like your work ethic is 
is one that seeks security that you know that you were confident enough in who you were and your style and what was funny about you that you weren't like yeah i'm not doing that yeah i mean uh, it's it's yeah i mean i definitely kept my day job longer but some of it was for creative reasons like i kept my day job so that i wouldn't have to go into a bar show and New Jersey, or I wouldn't have to take, because Geraldo quit his job pretty early, and so I would see him go and do these wrestling match shows, right. you know, and um, um, yeah, no, I think that there was some some unconscious uh, search of security, but no one going into stand-up, I definitely got to a point where I was like, all right, because, you know, I never imagined I would be married, I was like, I came to a conclusion, all right, I'm going to be the weird uncle yeah. that lives in a small, filthy apartment that in Manhattan. That your brother and sister bring the nieces yeah. and nephews over to see the bathtub in the kitchen. Right. Yeah. And and that um, and I had gone through and been rejected by all these festivals for, you know, I had been doing stand-up. All my, everyone, all you guys and Geraldo and Ian Bag had all done Conan and uh, all these late night shows, and I had been rejected by all of them. So I had gone through all this anger, and I had gotten to a point where, all right, I'm doing this because I love doing it. I'm, uh, I'm maybe I'm going to be able to make a living combining the commercials and stand up, but I don't like Geraldo wanted a headline. I never imagined. I didn't really see like wanting to headline. That wasn't my goal. I know it sounds like, you know, the actor that's like, I just wanted to do community theater. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. what did you want to do? I, I wanted to be a writer on Letterman. I wanted to be a writer on Letterman or, you know, my goal really was to do stand up on Letterman. That was, if I could do stand up on Letterman, then all this, all these years. You would be vindicated. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and because, you know, back then it was, if someone found out you're a comedian, they'd say, have you been on any shows? Right. You need the validation. Yeah. So you were actually doing some acting work before, you know, you really broke as a comic. Yeah. There was plenty of times when people thought that I was, I did a movie with Dennis Leary and he didn't know I was a comedian. That hurts. It's, you know, in some ways I didn't care. In some ways, yeah. No, but it wasn't, you know, I mean, that was 20 years ago. No, no, I know, I know, but I'm just trying to see, like, because what I was saying is basically that once you did realize your stand-up and once you built a business around your stand-up, and that's, you know, including, you know, television projects and doing, like, Three Kings and showing up in movies and, and commercials, that I think because of your wife and your family that your you know your values were very specific you know i've got a family to feed right and and i think that you know when i see your output and how you know diligently you are with with releasing cds dvds and now the book market seems to be good for you and then kind of pushing forward and becoming like you know a theater act almost exclusively uh i have to assume that some of that is you know, thankfully, you know, driven by your family responsibilities. I think, yeah, I think fear as a motivator is pretty uh, important. And you're, but you're very, you know, you're very. But hard. I like working. I like. No, no, I writing. know, but yeah. I mean, yeah, but like, and the thing is, is that you know, usually you'd be saying this stuff about you know somebody who would do anything, but you don't. You're very specific, and you know, so, do you remember when you started to break or how it happened? Um, gosh, because there's there's important moments where. You know, uh, 
getting on Dr. Katz was like huge. Sure. I, I yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, those were all great, um, but that was sort but, of like oh, I want to be one of the guys moments. Well, it was it was it was yeah, that was I want to be one of the right. guys. Right. But it was beyond the pale. Uh it was Comedy Central. I had done a half hour. Geraldo and I did it the same night and then um Geraldo had done three more half or two more half hours and I couldn't get arrested at Comedy Central. And then my manager um, was with uh, uh, the ma- same management company that handled the blue collar guys, right? And Comedy Central was like, "You want any more hours?" And my manager was like, "What about Jim Gaffigan?" And so it was like a different person. So like this hierarchy at Comedy Central, someone else had bought an hour from me. So the Beyond the Pale got on Comedy Central, and that changed everything. It did. That completely changed everything. So the Hot Pockets joke was on there. When I had done my half hour, they didn't use Hot Pockets. Thank God. In my out, and Beyond the Pale, they they didn't have tons of hours of, yeah. of stand-up, and they could air it at any time. So uh, it just, they aired the hell out of it, and it just served as an infomercial. Uh, and so that, that turned me into a theater. I, it took like six months after it started airing. Uh-huh. But... Yeah, it was all beyond the pale that really did it. And then, you know, I think combined with a lot of acting roles, so people were like, oh, he was uh, from, you know, had that part in Sex in the City or had right. that part in... Uh, right, and they had know, all sort of, movie. you became a guy that was across all their mediums. They it was just to, a, you know, it, I, we could sell 800 tickets in the theater. Right, So, but, but, but what's also significant is that, you know, you're dealing, I think what was probably Comedy Central's issue was that your comedy was, was in, it, it's sort of timeless, but it's also sort of grown up. And, you know, in a way, I, I would assume that your audience was primarily adults or people your age-ish. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's weird because I don't, you know, like, because it's like I'm doing this show for, um, that's going to be on TV land and Comedy Central. Yeah. And that's the first instinct. Everyone's like, yeah, you know, 50-year-olds like 40-year-olds like this stand-up. But that's not the case. The case is is that 20-year-olds and 40-year-olds like it. And so at my And they shows, can go together. No, 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 no. No, 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 seriously. No, but the you, thing I is, mean, is so Comedy Central, it was TV land was just going to do it. Right. And then it was presented as, well- Comedy Central might be 18 to 25 or whatever the demographics are, but those are the people that are watching my special on Comedy Central. Right. So I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but it's- You're just saying your audience is-, is, is It's, is it's not, people think it's, you know, it's people like you, Jim, with kids, and no, it's, but, but it, you look at like people that go to comedy shows, they're not people that have no, kids. No, right. You know? well, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, it- you are the kind of act that uh, you know a dad could bring his kid to. You're right. also the kind of act that you know a, a son could, could bring his dad, to. and also a, a kid who could bring his girlfriend to and not feel embarrassed. Right. And you know, there and, and I don't want to say family act, but I mean, but you know, your your humor is universal and your craft is solid, and it's not. You know, and I don't think you're uh, like I don't think you're without risk. You know, I think that no. your character is is clearly has darkness to it, no. and there's yeah. struggle there. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you're fairly calculating in that you know whether you want to be clean or not, you don't find it necessary to right. to not do that, and it's a smart choice. Well, here's here's the, here's how I kind of describe it is, I I think that comedians get 
too much credit and too much criticism for what the, the for the type of stand up they do anyway. Right. So people must be like, "You're so honest, Mark." Yeah. But in a lot of ways, that's the only stand up you would do. Yeah, it's the only I can't right? do it any other way. So yeah. n- it's not to say that I don't curse in everyday life, but if I'm writing a joke and rewriting it, yeah, it's not necessary to curse if I'm talking about steak. You know, <laughs> so so the whole thing is is that. It's, you know, look, I'm not somebody who would, like, you might go on stage in front of a a room full of strangers and say, fuck you all, motherfuckers, but I'm kind of like, there's a little bit of the Midwestern where I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't want to curse, there's someone's grandma right there. (laughs) So... And it took me a while to realize that. But that also has to do with writing. My writing process is all, you know, improvisational. So yeah. I think that when, because you're very meticulous, I mean. But I'm know, improvising on stage a lot. Right. But I, but there's, you know, it's But weird. you know where your beats are. I know. It, well, there is something about, you can't do this for 15, 20 years. Yeah. And not start writing on stage. Of course. And so there is something about. Um, I'm just saying that when you yeah. know where your beats are, like the idea that, you know, when you're working a joke about steak yeah. and you've structured your beats, you don't have to say fucking steak. Yeah. But if I'm just on stage and I just say to steak, I'm like, fucking steak. I'm going to do that. Well, it's it's authentic for you, uh, right? It's right. authentic for Chris Rock. It's authentic for Louis Black. Right. But it's 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 weird because, you know, Brian Regan, it's, it's, you know, it's like, a, you know, we've both said the same thing in interviews. It's like our favorite comedians are filthy. Yeah. But it's it's not it's not like one of those things where Jesus told me to no, not curse. It's, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just kind of, and I really do, it, it's how the stand-up comes out. Yeah. And, you know, David Cross can only do that type of comedy. Right. He could do a character of a different type of comedy. And it's some of it is finding your point of view and your voice. When did you first start doing the the second voice? The second voice was something that was it was kind of it was part of my personality as a teenager, where I would talk to somebody and it would just diffuse the situation. It's like I can't believe Jim's sitting in my garage. I hope Jim doesn't want this to come out when his book's published. Yeah, but I'm gonna fuck him by not releasing it then. Um, but. So some of it is, uh, it, it's a great tool for diffusing any awkwardness. Right, right. It's, it's an awareness. Right. But um, I didn't do it the first six years I did stand-up. I right. remember I started right. doing it in um, D.C. at the D.C. Improv when I was, you know, in the middle before Attell. And Attell would make fun of me. He's like, oh, really? You yeah. know, you're going to yeah. do this? Okay, yeah. Grandpa. Yeah. And uh, so it was... It was kind of something where I, you know, I used to also think I'm just talking so that when I'm on at the cellar at one in the morning, I don't give them time to say anything. Right. It's like, I'll comment. Yeah. All right. Don't worry. Right. Just yeah. relax. Yeah. I'll cr- I know I'm talking about bacon for too long. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So it's, but we, we all have voices in our head. Yeah. It's just giving them a platform. I just recently started doing this uh, blogger. That where I, I don't know if I did it the night you saw yeah. me, where I say I have an inner blogger that's reviewing my show as it's oh, going yeah. along. Yeah, yeah. Marin started off strong, but now he seems to have taken. He's sort of sidetracked. He thinks this joke's real smart, but it's not smart at all. Yeah, exactly. We all have this inner crap. Yeah. And you know, you know, New York comedy. I mean, you look at like Johnny Carson used to comment on his jokes. Yeah. But when we were in New York, 
at that point when it was really kind of it, I'm not going to say it was hand to hand combat but right. if you showed vulnerability it, it was weakness by the audience so there's a good reason why you know Kevin Brennan Louis CK David Tell you know there is a deadpan in how they deliver things right you know Todd Barry it's because if you show the happy sweet kind of like hi yeah. i'm a lovable the, you will get eaten alive in new york and that's considered weakness right and and i think it's changed a lot well no i think it's op- the comedy has opened up a bit so that was yeah. your way of of being vulnerable in a I way think so and, and it, but, being but, weird yeah but it was uh, it was it became completely you know a defining yeah. part of your voice yeah that, and did you know it when you did it first did you you were you like i got something with this no, well, I thought it was a great opportunity to to come up with uh, additional tags from a different point of view. Right. So I was like, I can get a couple more jokes in here. Yeah. I can, um, you know, there's not going to be a crazy Christian woman in this audience who's judging this, but they will enjoy this point of view. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, there was some of... Yeah, because it's a great... Uh, it's a but, you know, it would whiff every now and then. What does that mean? It means I, I would do it and people would just be like, this is just stupid. Right. So when I did my initial Comedy Central half hour, yeah, I I chickened out and I didn't do it at all. Really? Yeah. So I had been doing it for like a year and then- Would you I have was, like a bad night the poor, like when you were running I think, it? I think I, yeah. I think, you know, it was probably 50-50 or maybe it was probably 80-20 but uh-huh. I was like you know what this is a TV special I don't want to risk it uh huh and but beyond the pale you were like you gotta yeah. do it yeah yeah and that was the defining moment and but you've been very diligent about what do you put out a new album every year no I'd say every uh, two years and now the book thing this year with the book you're out you got coming out now is the second book second third, book second book second book that thing feels like it's right on top of the other one yeah well this is a food book and i feel like i've been writing about food for 20 years anyway it's it's kind of you know half of the book was compiling it into essays and half of it was kernels of ideas or tweets that yeah you know were topics is that your demon food yeah um, I think that's the one that people see. Yeah, you know. Uh, what do you got? What are the? Oh, I <laughs> like. I'm gonna tell you. No, I've got a lot of demons. I think that. Um, you know, I think that. Uh, you don't drink anymore. No, I drink occasionally. Yeah. I went through five or six years where I didn't drink at all, where yeah. I was like, I really want to um, get on top of this. But I don't. My demons. I have. I have a fair amount of them. Yeah. You okay. know. I mean, it's. Um, and, you know, I think that there's, uh, you know, jealousy is still a, a strange thing, but... That's all insecurity stuff. It's all insecurity. But I think that stand-up comedy is, uh, you know, the opportunity... Like, I don't know if you encounter this. It's pretty common. You know, it's like, I'm kind of grumpy. I do a set. It's, 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 you know, the endorphins flow. Yeah. Right? There's nothing that... Right, and I don't care where it is. It's uh, that's one of the things that I learned. I know that it's cooler to do a show at the cellar or at a certain place, but I just care about getting up on stage, and I think it's important to be able to make a lot of different types of people laugh, particularly Absolutely. people that people, particularly people that that look at you like I don't think I'm going to like you or don't so, know you, 
winning them over yeah. is really fun. Getting the people that are like, you know, because now I'm in this weird place where, you know, usually if I do a club, I can sell it out, but there's still going to be a good quarter to a third of the people. They're just there for comedy. Right. And them going like, yeah, I didn't know you at all. But that, yeah, yeah. Then, then it's like, that's it. Yeah. That's the best. Because yeah. that's your job. Yeah. You just entertained a stranger. Well, that's the valid. And that's what I realized looking back on, uh, you know, the oddball thing. Maybe Louis made reference to this, but that's why he did it is because he's at such a level of fame that if he follows Bill Burr, who's crushing, mm-hmm. it is a true serum for his act. Right. Now, I don't know if that's, you know, the balancing act is, I think people are funniest when they're most comfortable, but there's also a belief that people, you know, a lot of humor comes out of, you know, situations of fear. Like I have to, I have to do well, or I will die a miserable death in front of right. No, twenty thousand. But that's people. weird because I, the, you, you know, like I will beat the shit out of myself. Yeah. In that moment, and have to transcend. I have to transcend that on top of do well. Like, right. for me, it's like, I, I don't ever go out there with the warrior spirit, like, I'm going to fucking kill it. Yeah. It's just sort of like, oh, God damn it. Right. It's not getting in our own way. I mean, I remember one time I asked Seinfeld, I was like, what do you do when you follow someone who's really filthy? And he goes, it doesn't affect me at all. And I'm sitting there going, what? <laughs> you know, because I, you know, I, I believe stand-up is very much a conversation. Yeah. And our point of view and our relationship, yeah, it's... You know, there's, you know, you can be a tell who's kind of the formula. My jokes are so funny. I don't care if you like me or not. Mm -hmm. But I think it's this long conversation. And some of it is unselfish. The more comfortable I feel, the funnier I'm going to feel. Absolutely. And if I come up with a line during a show, I will love you forever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know what I mean? and, And it'll be better for them. So. I, I don't know if I, uh, you know, I appreciate the fact that I grew up uh, doing stand-up in front of audiences that you would just see those dead eyes, yeah, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, pre-Obama, just yeah, tables yeah. of African-Americans turning away from you because yeah. you were the wrong color. Right. But, um, and I think it did, you know, there is uh, some calluses that are important for making you an authentic comic, but I think being in front of a warm audience is... is uh, Pretty good. Well, it's great. And it, it, I'm just experiencing it for the first time because you can be truly comfortable. And right. that's where shit happens. And that's where... Because you've where got you... 20 years of fucking craft under your belt. And if you don't have to fight, yeah. something's going to happen. And that's where... I mean, I think... You know, I know I've said authenticity, but if you can go up there and be authentically funny where they know you're just making it up... yeah. That's, that's that's it. That's gold. That's crack. That's gold. And then you can go into like, you know, all right, let's start hitting some pop flies for you people. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. All right, man. Well, that's great. So the book, uh, the new one's called? Food, a love story. And when's the show on? It's uh, the show's on in um, June. All right. That's when we'll put this up. You're going to wait that long? No, no, no kidding. No, I'm, I'm kidding. going to wait till after your show premieres. <laughs> okay. And then I'll go to my therapist and I'll no. say, you know, I feel kind of guilty. I just, you know, I don't want him to succeed. No. How am I? You already, you already won. All right. Well, thanks for talking to me, Jim. All right. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's it. That's our show. Jim's the best. It's hilarious. 
Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Check those tour dates. I'll be near you somewhere. All right, you can go to the uh, to uh, the calendar and, and you can see all the dates and venues, and you can uh, the links will be right there to buy tickets. You can get your JustCoffee.coop over there. You can uh, leave comments on the comment board. You can do whatever you need. <coughs> Shit! God damn it! I want to thank the band May McDonough and Company. They're a great band. I enjoyed their record, but out of nowhere, they sent me this lovely handmade pedal handmade fuzz pedal it's a boomer lives pedal with boomer on there and a psychedelic design and two knobs one that says meow and one that says purr and it's just a fucking just a kind of a breaking apart fuzz number what does it sound like 